of the book of 1 Corinthians. Today we are in chapter 2. Focus of our study this morning will be on verses 1 through 5. That's found on page 952 in the Bibles that are provided for you there in the rows. By way of reminder, here in this first section, these first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing and and, uh, really rebuking and redirecting the problem of divisions that existed at the church in Corinth. And it's important as we look at this biographical section that we keep that in mind. Paul still has not moved from this first issue in the church, the existence of factions. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, and I, excuse me, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but... In the power of God, let us pray together. Lord, I ask that you would use your word to strengthen and grow your people. Lord, that our faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Lord, that our faith in you would be evident, not just in how we worship, but Lord, how we live together as your church, how we live together in our homes, how we serve in this world, Lord, that all things would reflect an abiding and growing faith in you. Lord, that we would truly be transformed by the renewing of our mind as your spirit is at work in the proclamation of your word. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. J. Oswald Sanders, who is now with the Lord, a theologian, churchman, once shared the following story from India. It says, an an indigenous missionary walking barefoot from village to village in India where he had been, his hardships were many. After a long day of many miles and much discouragement, he came to a certain village and he tried to speak the gospel there simply before dusk. And they rejected him, drove him out of town. We, we don't want to hear you, they said to him. Exhausted and discouraged, he, he lay down under a tree and he fell asleep. 
Later in the evening, he suddenly was awakened, and the village was all around him. And though he was startled, the the head man said, We came out to see what kind of man you were, and when we saw your blistered feet, we felt bad for what we had done and concluded you must be a holy man with a very important message for us, and we are here to let you speak to us. And Sanders made this point, that these feet, these beautiful, blistered feet, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good tidings. These blistered feet said to the people, I have a message worth hearing. That's a powerful story, I believe that illustrates an important point about our lives. Our way of life speaks, honestly, to to how much we value the gospel that we claim to believe and the God to whom we are reconciled through faith in Christ. It's a testimony. Now, we, we may not be in a, in a third world country where we have to walk barefoot to, to, to take the gospel to people who need to hear it. But how we live truly is one of the strongest testimonies to, to what we actually believe. And, and I say that by way of, of, of encouragement for us to take a moment to truly take stock. The Apostle Paul's life well, was a testimony to, to this reality, was it not? We, we, we certainly will see as we study the book of 1 Corinthians, but we will see also this morning elsewhere in Scripture where, where Paul gives a, a testimony of how valuable the gospel and, and the ministry to which God called him, how, how important that was to him. Paul's approach in in reaching the Corinthians with the gospel also testifies to this reality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, as I mentioned before, Paul is still addressing the divisiveness that existed within the church in Corinth. And this morning he, 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 he... addresses the divisiveness by, by actually appealing to his approach to reaching them with the gospel. And he does this because his approach revealed that his own desire wasn't that, that he would have a claim in their eyes. He, he wasn't there to make his own name great, but he wanted to proclaim Christ faithfully. That's, that's the purpose of, uh, of Paul stopping for a moment and saying, listen guys, this gospel was so important That when I came to you proclaiming this gospel, I I didn't do it in a way so you would look at me and think, wow, that Paul, what a guy. He wanted them to see how great God is. He wanted their faith not to rest in his ability to, to present the gospel, but in the God who saves. He wanted their faith grounded in Christ. What a, what a great reminder for us this morning. These verses are simple. You read them and it's perfectly clear what the meaning is 
I, I doubt I'm going to be dropping much knowledge upon you that you have not considered before. But sometimes it's the plain things that, that, that we need to be captivated by. And today, I pray that will be the case for us. So Paul begins by emphasizing that when he came to them, he came with a clear message. Verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, and when I, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, a few weeks ago, I pointed out that it was common in Corinth for people to align themselves with certain philosophers, Listening to debates and philosophical orations, it really was a, was a form of entertainment in Corinth. So it would make sense that, 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 that it would be easy for Paul, when he came to town, to gain an audience among the people. All he had to do is, is show up and start talking, and people would be drawn to that. Not so much anymore, huh? But, but, but for that culture, it was very common. And remember, before Paul's conversion, he was then called Saul, he was a, a Pharisee. He was an expert on the law, and he was a teacher of the law. So, so Paul could speak. There's little doubt from his writings that he was a skilled teacher. Just read the book of Romans. But as we consider verses 1 and 2, it's clear that Paul recognized that it would be a mistake to adopt the, the culture's approach to orations, to, to speakers in presenting the gospel. Because to do so could have actually served as a hindrance to the people responding in faith to the troop rather than a help. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul's teaching and preaching the gospel was, was dull or that it lacked depth. But the emphasis here is on the fact that, that Paul made it clear. He was, he was intentional to make sure that the message was centered on glorifying Jesus rather than himself. In fact, we see from the fact that the, the church had adopted a divisive spirit by, by forming factions among themselves that, that Paul really did make the right decision even though he wasn't as successful as, as perhaps he had hoped to be. Brothers and sisters, this is an important reminder for us as a church. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it doesn't need to be added to. Nor should, should those who present the gospel seek to hijack it for their own glory. But when we present the gospel, we want to leave our hearers, whether it's in a context like this where there is a speaker and, and a lot of listeners, or whether it's one-on-one -on -one or, or a small group discussion where you're talking to, to unbelievers that you know. No, no matter what the setting we want to leave our hearers with a clear understanding of the nature of who God is. He's holy. He's, he's perfect. We, we want to make it clear the, the reality of the seriousness of the sin that separates us from God. 
And we also want to make it clear the the incredible act of love that God has displayed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to reconcile sinners to himself by making them holy. To, To adopt the lofty speech and worldly wisdom of philosophers would have ultimately communicated to the Corinthians that the, the message of the gospel was insufficient to save. But Paul knew that he could not convert or save anyone. Only the Spirit of God could. Now, as we think about the life of the Apostle Paul, remember this, that, that once Paul became a Christian, he faced attacks from every side. He was accused of not being impressive in his appearance. Apparently, Paul didn't buy his tunic and his robe from Old Navy. He he didn't spend his time at the gym improving his physique. His focus was on proclaiming the word of God faithfully. And he wasn't willing to endure personal insult and belittlement to be faithful to this calling. Now, in Paul's statement that he knew nothing among the Corinthians except Christ and him crucified, I don't think Paul is saying that all he did was continually give a gospel presentation. I'm certainly sure he did that. But as he was there, Paul was faithful to to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And as he did that, he continually pointed them back to who Scripture points to, Christ. This is a a, a great reminder of how we approach even the Old Testament. We, We try to do the same thing here at New Hope. If you were here with us for our study of, of the book of Psalms over the winter, you experienced this. Even as we read about Psalms of repentance and, and, and redemption in the Old Testament, what did we do? We tried to always come back to the gospel. This picture of of David's repentance, of his sin with Bathsheba in in Psalm 52, as as we flip forward to the New Testament, we see how Christ provides all of these things that David prays for. Do you remember that? We, 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 we look at the old through the lens of, of the new of what Christ has done. And I believe this is what Paul was doing as he, as he taught the Corinthians early in their faith about, about the God who sent his son to die to save them. God's redemptive plan and his character are revealed throughout the Bible, brothers and sisters. And we would do well as we read this glorious book To read with that in mind. So Paul provided a clear message. But he also revealed himself to be a dependent messenger. Verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now he moves from speaking of or, or, or writing of the <coughs> excuse me, centrality of the gospel message in his ministry to the Corinthians to his attitude and his dependence on the work of God in his ministry. Now traditionally in Corinth, when an orator 
came to town, when he entered the city, the first thing they would do would be to, to, to go to the public square and give a speech. And that each speech, this, these opening monologue, if you will, would, would contain two themes. The first theme would, would, would be the speaker launching into a, a praise to the city of Corinth and to its residents. And we'll go on and on about, about how great it was to be in Corinth and, and how awesome the people were there. And then the second part of this opening monologue would focus on the accomplishments of the speaker. His accolades, what he's done. Hey, once spoke before Caesar. Can you see now why it's so important that Paul... Is making it clear that his approach was different? Paul could have entered in and, and said great things about the city. He, he could have entered in and, and, and said nice things about the residents of the, uh, who lived there. He could, he could even speak of his accomplishments as a, as a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. No, I I didn't come in that way at all. I I didn't want you to be impressed with me. (laughs) Now, the speakers did this really for one reason. Their livelihood depended on their job as orators. And so what do you do? You butter the people up, and then you tell them why you're so great that they should be supporting what you do. That looks nothing like the approach of Paul. Paul skipped over these trivialities in order to care for the souls of his people. Now, in the book of Philippians, we see that Paul indeed has much that he could boast about. I'll give you Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, talking about the Judaizers who said that in order to truly be right with God, men had to be circumcised, an act in order, a work to be saved. Verse 3 says, for we are the circumcision who worship God who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's a pretty good resume, is it not? He was born into the right family, had the right job, he had all the right skills. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for, for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul said, listen, in, in the Jewish world's eyes, I had it all. When I gained Christ, I looked at all of that and said, you know what? That's rubbish. The Greek word is much more graphic there. Waste. Manure. All that I had attained when I saw the value of knowing Christ. It's out of here. Doesn't measure up. Brothers and sisters, that we would have this same understanding of all that we have in Christ. It would be so much easier for us to to let go of these things that that, that have their grip on us. These temporary things. It's rubbish. It's manure compared to knowing Christ. God, grant us This perspective on being in Christ. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3, when when Paul writes of weakness and fear and trembling, he's contrasting his approach with with the common expectation for visiting speakers. Again, he didn't want them to be impressed with him. The the Greek word that's translated weakness can be understood as timidity. And in verse 3, I think that capture Paul, captures Paul's intent. Rather than coming in and boasting in what he had accomplished, he, he was timid in the sense that he didn't boast in himself. He didn't build himself up in, in the eyes of the audience. His approach was to be more concerned about their salvation than he was their approval. Verse 4 says, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, Paul is picking back up on this theme that we've seen in the, in the previous verses. Remember that? He, he talked about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God, and then the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God seen in the gospel in particular. And Paul said, listen, I I didn't adopt that approach. I didn't speak to you as a worldly philosopher, but I spoke to you on the basis of of the power of God. This is a contrast of the worldly wisdom of Corinth with the message of the gospel, which was the revealed work of the Holy Spirit. Plausible should be understood as pervasive. Paul saying, I didn't try to, to, to twist your arm or manipulate you into the faith. I preached the truth to you. His gospel presentation wasn't focused on an emotional appeal, but on the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to convince, convict, and regenerate those who heard the message. Brothers and sisters, many believe that the the phrase demonstration of the Spirit and of power is only a reference to to miraculous works, but I think the context reveals that Paul is emphasizing, emphasizing the effects 
of the Holy Spirit's work in his gospel preaching. Now we know, in a, uh, even, a, even a, a skimming through the book of Acts, you see the apostles empowered to do the miraculous. And that validated their message. They claimed to speak for God. God showed up and did God things that mere mortals cannot do. But there is a greater miracle that is common, that is still ongoing when the gospel is preached, and that is the miracle of salvation. And I think this picks up on what Paul said back in chapter 1, where the gospel is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Because even as, as, as Paul and the other apostles were performing miracles, even as the sick were healed, even as the dead were brought to life, the greatest miracle that took place was the salvation of those who saw the miracles, but more importantly, they heard the message of salvation. Because listen, even something as awesome as seeing a dead person come to life, which I imagine is, is, is pretty incredible... <laughs> That in and of itself will not save anyone without what? Without an understanding of that proclaimed message of the gospel by which we learn the way that this God who can heal, this God who can raise the dead, can bring the spiritually dead back to life and reconcile them to himself. So, so do not minimize the, 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 the miracle that takes place when sinners turn to Christ by faith. So, so I think Paul has both in mind here because we do know that the miraculous was, well, was, a, was a part of his ministry, but, but, but the context reveals too this emphasis on the power of God at work in the gospel. Paul's teaching wasn't dependent on his ability to turn a phrase, but it was on his dependence on God to save the lost. And brothers and sisters, we must follow this example, looking for the Spirit of God to continue his work of regeneration and redemption in the lives of unbelievers. Paul's Hope, his goal, was that his clear message as a dependent messenger would result in a sound faith for the church in Corinth. Verse 5, he says, So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's purpose in all that he had did there in Corinth was, was to see the Corinthians truly saved and fully dependent upon God. And this is the heart of the gospel, is it not? God, through the faithfulness of Jesus, provides a way to save sinful man. We are utterly unable to save ourselves. The most self-disciplined person who ever lived is still dead in his sins apart from faith in Christ. You cannot discipline your way to heaven. No wise person in the world's eyes will ever stand before God and be able to reason her way into heaven with clever arguments. Why? Because the law of God will shut the mouth 
of all sinners. We will have nothing to say before a holy God. Paul understood that a church of Paul rather than a church of Christ would be a church of hell-bound sinners. He did not want them to have faith in him. He did not want them to be impressed with, with his ability as a leader. He wanted them to be impressed with the God who could save them, plain and simple. The, the Corinthians wrapped up in, in the spirit of the division, which more resembled the world rather than the church. They needed this reminder that, that the gospel that was proclaimed to them, along with the preacher who proclaimed it, were centered on God and his wisdom and power. New Hope, the gospel that we proclaim must be centered on Christ, on glorifying him rather than ourselves. The, the, this fear of man negatively affects our gospel efforts, brothers and sisters. It always does. We, we must learn as, as the people of God who, who sincerely want to take the light of the gospel into this dark world, do we not? This is our goal. Whether it be through the, the, the ministries of the church, our individual efforts, the ministries that we support around the world, we want to see Christ proclaimed. We understand that this is the, the only hope for anyone. Do you believe that this morning? We are not, we're not here to worship a way to salvation. We're not here to, to celebrate a way to be reconciled to God. Scripture is clear that there's one way, one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus, who died in our place, who rose again so that all who believe would be justified in the sight of God. That is the only way. Are you gripped by this reality, brothers and sisters? You must be. We, we must resist the temptation to be more concerned with, with what the people who are hearing the full truth of, truth of the gospel think of us. Are we, we, we should be more concerned with them hearing the truth rather than fearing whether or not they might think we're religious nuts. Because in the world's eyes, we are. <laughs> we're fools. Weaklings, idiots, why not add nuts? But let us be nuts for the glory of God, brothers and sisters. So what do our lives truly testify to, brothers and sisters? Does my manner of living... Reflect my faith in Christ? Or does it give more evidence to ways that my former way of thinking and my former way of living still has a grip on me? Do, do I hunger for power and influence? Or, or do I reflect the love and grace that I have received through Jesus Christ? Am I clear in, in my presentation of the gospel to unsaved friends and family? Or, or do I tend to get in the way because I'm really fearful of what they think of me? Are we, 
dependent on the Lord and the work of his spirit to, to, to do his work in, in their hearts and minds? Or are we more concerned that they'll reject us rather than the God whom we proclaim? Do, do we rejoice in seeing those who have once resisted and opposed the faith repent and believe the gospel? Even those who were once our enemies, even those who may have prominence now that they are believers? Is, is there jealousy there or joy at their conversion? Brothers and sisters, we, we, we consider these things because... We truly are called to, to die to our sinful desires daily. It's, it's not a one and done thing. And I believe that God has done it this way so that we will learn dependence. We will truly learn each and every day to, to, to discipline ourselves and delight ourselves in the things that honor him rather than the things that lead us astray. It's a process. We, we don't get there overnight, but praise God for his grace that he is at work and it is his plan to, to, to be at work refining and, and pruning those areas in our lives that need to be done away with. But as I close this morning, I want to encourage you. I, I want to encourage you that, number one, that this is not a way. This is the way. But number two, what an awesome way. Every unbeliever you share the gospel with could be restored to God by faith on the basis of what Jesus has done. Just like you were restored to God on the basis of what Jesus has done. We, we don't preach a gospel of works. This isn't about earning our way to heaven. Everything that we do on, on this side of salvation is, is an act of faith, recognizing that we trust the God who saves us. So every time we take the gospel to someone, we're, we're not calling them to work for anything. We're calling them to receive the greatest gift that's ever been offered. Brothers and sisters, let that be your confidence for your gospel presentations. Let that be your confidence for every day of your life. Because your standing before God is secure because Jesus was faithful for you. Let us pray. Lord, we rejoice in this reality. Lord, we... we, we, we we, we, we have sung of, of what Christ has done for us. Rejoicing in, in, in the mystery of God in your plan for salvation. And we rejoice in the knowledge that that, that salvation that you supply is, is what covers our entire eternity. Freeing us to seek to live for your glory. Not because we are trying to, to earn our way into heaven or, or earn your love. Lord, you, you, have, you have taken away the burden of the law and the guilt that it brings and fulfilled that through Christ so that we would be free 
to obey. We would be free to, to, to live for you. We'd be free to, 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 to trust you, knowing that, 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 that the barrier has been removed in Christ. So I pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us not just to be faithful in our day-to-day affairs, but Lord, help us to be faithful to, to look for and to grab those opportunities that you provide for us to speak to those that we know and love about what Christ has done. And we ask, Lord, that as we do so in faith, Lord, that you would open eyes and hearts to the truth and, and the greatest of all miracles would take place. Unworthy sinners will be made your sons and daughters. Do this for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, let's stand and sing one more time.